the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. A little bit later on in the program, we're going to have my friend, Dr. Jim Dennison, who, of course... um, There's not very many things that I read on a regular basis, but the Denison Forum at at both Christian Headlines and at the Denison Forum is a place where I regularly go. And today, um, as always, Dr. Jim Denison has a great, great article on the key to biblical uh, interpretation, but also... um, his new book, The Coming Tsunami, Why Christians Are Labeled Intolerant, Irrelevant, Oppressive, and Dangerous, and How We Can Turn the Tide. We're going to be talking about that book, and I, I think it's going to, be, um, it's going to be fun to listen to, and it's an important conversation. So 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program um, earlier this week, there was an article posted that I wanted, you know, we've talked a great deal about Ukraine and Russia. Obviously, tensions are building and mounting. And I talked with you a little bit about um, Joel Rosenberg and what his uh, analysis is at all Israel News and all Arab News. And it's it's ap- absolutely yet another must read. But um, at ChristianHeadlines.com, there was an article posted earlier this week on Ukrainian Christians as they react to the threat of a Russian invasion. Now, for those of you who are geographically disabled, the Ukraine borders Russia to its immediate north is Belarus, and um, it's along the Belarus and Russian border that over... 100,000 troops have been um, deployed by the Russian army. So what exactly is going to happen? And, of course, we learned that whatever is going to happen is probably going to, for the most part, be determined by by Vladimir Putin himself. So at at ChristianHeadlines.com, there was an article that was done by Milton Quintanilla, who's a contributor for ChristianHeadlines.com, that talks that talked to Christians in Ukraine and how they were assessing and contemplating uh, the danger and what they should do. And so last Wednesday, the United States Embassy in Ukraine obviously warned American citizens in the country to consider evacuating immediately amid the growing threat of the invasion. And according to the embassy in U- Ukraine, here's what they said at their website. It, it reads, quote, the security situation in Ukraine continues to be unpredictable due to the increased threat of Russian military action. 
and could deteriorate with little notice. The website further says, and I quote, the U.S. Embassy urges U.S. citizens in Ukraine to consider departing now using commercial or other privately available transportation options, unquote. And Ukraine's president, uh, Vladimir, I think it's Vladimir Zelensky, warned that Russia may be, well, eyeing Kiev, which is Ukraine's second largest city as its next target. And um, there's Kharkiv, which is under Ukraine government control, could be occupied. Um, the president told the Washington Post last week, she says, all Russia needs is an excuse. All Russia needs is a pretext. They'll say they're protecting the Russian-speaking population. Zelensky said, I don't know what they're going to do because these are big cities. Uh, Kharkiv has over a million citizens. It's not going to be just an occupation. It's going to be the beginning of a large-scale war. Now, again, when we hear those words and we think those thoughts, our minds immediately go from certainty to uncertainty, to the, from the known to the unknown. And obviously, it's always difficult to make decisions when you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Now, despite threats of a possible invasion and war, apparently some Christians are choosing to wait out the threat instead of evacuating immediately. So there seems to be a growing group of people in Ukraine who are watching and waiting. Jane Hyatt, who's an American missionary living in Ukraine's capital, Kiev. So there's two, two, Kharkiv. And then um, Kiev, Kharkiv and Kiev, they're two different cities. So Jane Hyatt, living in the capital, Kiev, said she doesn't presently plan to leave. She said, quote, I've lived here for 26 years, and as of today, I don't have plans to evacuate. I'm watching to see how things are going to go. I'm trusting the Lord to see what happens. And, of course, Jane Hyatt, she runs a Christian Children's Rehabilitation Center called Father's Care, and she's maintains she's going to continue to do the work of the ministry. She says, we have over 20 children in our rehab center, and I have lots of responsibilities, and I feel that, that I need to do as many of those responsibilities as I can, she said. And then there's another pastor, Anton Tyshenko, who leads what's called the New Generation Church, one of Kharkiv's largest evangelical congregations. And according to Christian headlines, uh, CBN, he told CBN News um, that the church had launched a 21-day fast for revival and peace in the Ukraine. So it's going to be interesting, again, to see how things Unfold three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Pastor Anton Kashinko said, "We gather with our church at seven o'clock in the morning. We pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray about revival. We keep praying. We keep fasting. 
We believe God will protect because he's a faithful God. By the way, the church is located very near the Russian border by the provinces of Donbass and Luhansk. Now, that's in the eastern, eastern, eastern um, area of the Ukraine. By the way, Russia annexed both of those areas in 2014. And so there's been a sort of on-again, off-again war um, for control of that territory. And nevertheless, Tashinko says that the Lord is at work in the area. A year ago, New Generation Church led an evangelistic crusade. Listen carefully. Where 27,000 people packed a stadium in Kharkiv. According to Tushenko, 10,000 people made professions of faith at the crusade. He said people are coming like never before to be open with the Lord Jesus. Tushenko told CBN News that he's going to continue to preach the gospel. He's going to continue to preach messages of hope. He's going to continue to teach the Bible in spite of the Russian threat. And so, again, Baptists in western Ukraine are concerned that the possible conflict could send Ukrainian Christians into hiding. So we should know more in the not-too-distant future. 303-873-1935 at 530. We're going to have Dr. Jim Dennison. You don't want to miss it. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. The number 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Lee, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, I was uh, listening to you in the last hour when you were talking about slavery and um, how they were relating it to, was the Bible wrong about slavery, also about uh, homo- or sexuality? Sure. And um, you touched on a lot of stuff uh, about the slavery issue, but there was a couple of things that you didn't bring up that I thought maybe, if you didn't mind, maybe I could um, discuss with you. Sure. Um, one of them, one of the big differences in the dis- dis- description, excuse me, of slavery in the Bible is that it was a voluntary thing. If a guy, you know, you talk, you touched on the fact that if a guy, you know, they took seriously, you had to repay your debts. Correct. And if you couldn't repay your debts, then you could voluntarily put yourself into slavery. So to repay the, the debt. Correct. We were talking about. Right. And, yeah, and so it was a voluntary thing. Now, I mean, it was a way that you could maintain your honor by paying off your debt through service instead of... Um, exactly. And it, it, that continued into you know the 16th, 17th, even 18th century in, in the form of indentureship, not just right. among Christians. But yeah. as, as you know, not the, the whole world wasn't Christian and didn't follow a biblical worldview. So there were yeah. the, the institution of slavery, you could be... You could become a slave through war. You could become Absolutely. a slave through birth. So, right. there, there, so there were more than one way to become a slave. So the point that I was trying to make was for the person who argues, well, you know, the Bible's wrong about slavery. The way yeah. that I would answer that is, no, you don't understand the practice of slavery, both in the ancient world and then what the Bible says about it. The Bible exactly. doesn't specifically condemn 
condemn the practice of slavery. It does talk about how slaves are to be treated in Deuteronomy 15, um, but it, it, it doesn't quote-unquote outlaw slavery. And like I said in the New Testament, Paul makes this very strong argument about Onesimus and the runaway slave. Exactly. So, And the Bible does condemn slavery the, the way that it was practiced in the 17th and 18th century, man-stealing or, or kidnapping. And so both the old... Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Because when we ask and we answer the question about human trafficking, we need to come to grips with the fact that, according to some estimates, there's some 27 million people in the world right now who are subject exactly. to forced slavery, forced yeah, labor, exactly. sexual and trade. Sure you, what I'm, I'm sure you know what the Bible said to do if a person was caught with a fellow Hebrew right. and was with the intention of, you know, he kidnapped him. Right. So kidnapping and slavery of a, of a fellow Hebrew, what was the, uh, the penalty for that? It was death. It was a exactly. death penalty because according yeah. to the Bible, that practice, human theft, is abhorrent. It was a crime. As a matter of yeah. fact, Exodus twenty one sixteen outlines it. It says, anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he's caught, must be put to death. Exactly. That's pretty so strong it, language. It is so different than what um, it, it, people that, well, that don't know the Bible or that right. aren't following a biblical worldview, their idea of what slavery was or what slavery was in this country. That was not biblical slavery. And No, it was so, wicked, yeah, it was and it was wrong, and it was perverse. Absolutely. And tragically, tragically, our founding fathers made the choice to postpone the issue in order to fight for freedom against Britain. Now, what they did is they postponed judgment. So instead of making the very hard choice and saying, you know what, if we choose, and this goes back to another principle, Lee, honor God in the circumstance you find it yourself in. Just honor him, honor him, and accept the consequences. Honor him. I suspect exactly. had our founding fathers honored the Lord, then the despicable practice of slavery, even though it would have been difficult, it would have been, we wouldn't have had a civil war where, where over a million people die. And so... Well, I have heard you, a, uh, an argument or a... Um, I'm, I'm at a loss of what the word is, but one of the uh, reasons why why people have said why the Founding Fathers didn't just immediately deal with it is because if they had tried to deal with the slavery issue, even those um, Founding Fathers that believed it was wrong, and there's, I mean, there's a plethora of... of uh, You're right. The sud- yeah, the Southern states would not, slavery. yeah, the Southern states wouldn't have signed on and, and we, we would have lost the war to Britain. Right, exactly. So they were, they were. Um, I heard that. I don't remember who wrote it or who said it, mm-hmm. but he's like, you know, we are trusting in God that this slavery issue will get um, resolved. Resolved. Thank you. Um, in in due course of time, um, in order for for this, you know, to, to work because it is a, a, a recognized evil, and so a lot of people don't. You know, think all well, the you know the founding fathers they didn't care about slavery. Well, they they did, but they knew they couldn't. It's like you know you look at our government right now. 
well, you really want to take a look at it. But anyway, that's neither here nor no, there. No, all of, the, all of this is important. And, and the, the, one of the ways I would, again, reiterate it is, again, for the early church, the early church, their primary goal wasn't to reform Roman culture. It was to present the gospel. It was to make people both understand and believe that their sin is a real problem, and Jesus is the solution to that sin. Now, here's what we know, that saved people who have been transformed by the power of God, by grace and mercy and the gospel, there's a transformation that takes place in society. Yeah, fancy that. In other words, it isn't society that transforms the individual. In my view, it's to to me... (laughs) Wicked society denigrates people, and there, there's something about a totalitarian government that insists on on depraved behavior towards human beings, and then and then erodes freedom. Well, so this is why, why I'm, a lot of the dictatorships are so afraid of Christianity because and w- of the power of that renews the individual. And it's a real renewal that doesn't happen any other way. And then that changes, that risks their their authority, their their culture that they're trying to build and everything else. See, so, that, yeah. what you just said puts the whole Ukrainian thing in a whole new light. Because, again, if what I reported on earlier, that there's a revival taking place in Ukraine, that Putin, you know, Putin ide- identifies as a quote-unquote uh, Russian Orthodox Christian. Obviously, there's nothing in his life that in- indicates that that that's true. But yeah. but if if it is true that there's a growing revival, if the Ukrainian people who have had a taste of freedom and they understand what it's like to live under a totalitarian government, and they're going, we don't want to, we don't want to do that again. And see yeah. that that's my argument for us. It's like no, not quite ready to abandon the constitution or the Bill of Rights, not ready to give it back, not right. ready to embrace totalitarianism. Well, and, and so many people, well, with what the universities are teaching and colleges are teaching and everything, and they've got this pie-in-the-eye view of, of well, I, I heard it said um, one time that if you're under 30, you're usually for socialism it sounds great but then if you're over 40 you're you're not because you figure out hey you know i've worked all my life to get what i have and the fact that the government just wants to come in and give it to somebody who didn't do squat for it is is pretty telling so yeah the ukrainian thing um and well here in this country the government is trying so hard to and the culture to get rid of christianity and the christians aren't I mean, I used to serve in the military overseas a long time ago. Not, not now. But <laughs> the um, I remember going to East Berlin when it was still East Berlin, and it was just so different. People yeah. don't realize. Thanks for the conversation, but I gotta go. Jim Dennison, coming up. You don't want to miss it. Hi, this is Gino Geraci, and again, welcome to. Crosswalk with Gino Geraci, my guest, Dr. Jim Dennison, and he's going to be well-known because we often go to um, his website and 
Of course, Dr. Jim Dennison is known for many books all around the world. And we're going to be talking a little bit about his new book, The Coming Tsunami, the subtitle, Why Christians Are Labeled Intolerant, Irrelevant, Oppressive, and Dangerous, and How We Can Turn the Tide. And of course, almost without sounding too cliche, for such a time as this, Dr. Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum, welcome to the program. Uh, Gino, so glad to be back with you again today. Thanks for the privilege of the conversation and for all you're doing, my friend. Well, it's great to have you. And right from the start, the coming tsunami, this metaphor that you have for the book, um, I want to ask you a little bit of a difficult question. You talk about the coming tsunami. Is there some evidence that maybe the tsunami has already come or just like you use the metaphor in the book there's a number of little mini tsunamis that come in 2005 there was a tsunami that was so great a quarter of a million people died within six minutes Mm -hmm. Uh, so sticking with your metaphor has the tsunami already come or should we expect something even bigger it's both and yeah absolutely is so this is where the metaphor breaks down just a little bit if you think of a tsunami as a single massive earth uh, you know, tidal wave caused by underwater earthquakes, four mm-hmm. underwater earthquakes, as I describe in the book here. So the water's already lapping the shore, no sure. doubt about that. As you and I know, and as we've talked about a lot, the water's rising in our churches as it's rising across the culture as well. The first earthquakes that I'm describing in the book really goes back to the 18th century and more specifically to what happened after World War II. The second earthquake starts in the 1960s with the sexual revolution and so forth. Critical theory, the third earthquake, you'd really be thinking about the last couple of years, but it goes mm-hmm. back to the 70s as critical race theory. So all that to say, this has been going on a long time, but there is coming, I think, a rising tide of opposition that is unprecedented in American history. Now, that's do, what I'm warning about, and that's mm-hmm. what I think is coming and is on the horizon. Now, do you, th- uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about in this book very wonderfully and, and helpfully, obviously you, you're going to talk about the rise of post-truth culture. You talk about the rise of the sexual revolution. You talk about the rise of critical theory and, and secular religion. But you also talk about hope and <laughs> change and and the reality that maybe, as you're fond of saying, it's too soon to give up on God. Mm -hmm. Exactly so. And at the end of the day, we're doing that not only because we're creatures of hope, and, you know, it's very difficult to hear the bad news and not want the good news, obviously, but more than that, there's so much good news. Mm -hmm. It's really on three levels. First of all, there's a fifth great awakening happening around the world. When Muslims have come to Christ in the last 15 years and the previous 15 centuries, I could take a long time to talk about stories of Muslims that I have met who've had visions and dreams of Jesus and come to faith in him. Our listeners could Google Muslim dreams of Jesus, visions of Jesus, incredible stories. I could tell you stories of people I met in Bangladesh and in Egypt and in Turkey and Saudi Arabia, incredible stories. When I was in Beijing, I was told 100,000 people come to Christ every day in the underground church in China. Hard to document that number, but that's what the missionaries felt was the case. And so in Cuba, a million Cubans in the last 10 years coming to faith in Christ. And so God's doing remarkable things in the world. Second piece is he's doing great things in our culture, just in ways we can't really measure as well. Glenn Stanton's book, The Myth Mm -hmm. of the Dying Church, talks about all the ways God is coloring outside the lines with Tuesday night Bible studies, Thursday morning worship services, things happening on college campuses, all of that. But then the third piece is the degree to which, because we are salt and light, the light always defeats the dark. The light always defeats the dark. What you and I have to do is you get this light out from another bushel basket. 
What we have to do is use our influence proactively. What we have to do redemptively is help beggars, be beggars helping beggars find bread, be people sharing the good news of God's love and the spirit of humility and grace. And God will use us to turn back the tsunami and make it not a tsunami of opposition and judgment, but a tsunami of opportunity and awakening. And that's what I'm praying for. Yeah, I think we're all praying for it. And I I know that there are um, people, and you you talk about this in the book, that there are people who wonder whether or not we've sort of, to use the metaphor of Caesar crossing the Rubicon, that we've, we've crossed some sort of crossing that we can't go back from. And um, obviously you talk about in a popular way, it's very, you're, by the way, congratulations on the coming tsunami. The way you talk about the post-truth culture and the rise of the sexual revolution and critical theory and secular religion, very, very accessible for, for people. Um, And, like you said, we've talked a, a lot about the post-truth culture. Do, do you think that because of these things that, again, there's a, a real difference between what was happening in the, in the Roman world in the first century and what's happening in our world at, at this point? Um, do you think – I mean, you, you, brought, you draw many contrasts and comparisons, but do you think that there's something different about the age in which we're living in? There really is. In some sense, we are in the first century. They were in a pre-truth culture, if you want to call it that, where they had Aristotelianism, Platonism, Stoics, Epicurean, Cynic, Skeptics, mystery cults, worshippers of Zeus, all of that sort of thing at the same time. So they were pre-truth, were kind of post-truth in that same sense. They didn't. They were very much in an immoral culture mm-hmm. in a way that would parallel, if not exceed, where we are now. Christians were seen as oppressive in some ways and certainly dangerous to society. So certainly there are some parallels. Between the two, one of the differences that I would draw and that makes this uniquely an American conversation, I think we're having right now, mm-hmm. is that in America, all across our history, there has been this sense that religion was essential to consensual morality, which was essential to democracy. Rome was never a democracy, never pretended, really, even in the senatorial area, to be a true democracy. Well, John Adams said, our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people is wholly unsuited to the governance of any other. There was a consensual Judeo-Christian kind of morality that was essential participatory democracy, and behind that was a sense that religion was essential to morality. That's what's shifted. Mm. That's what we're seeing in an unprecedented way. Never before in American history have Christians been called dangerous to society. Never before has basic, essential biblical morality be considered discriminatory and homophobic and bigoted and prejudiced and all of that. The Equality Act is just one example of this. Woke businesses, the Religious uh, Exemption Accountability Project that threatens $4 billion in federal aid for student scholarships at faith-based schools is another example of what we're talking about. That's where we're in a new place because we're in a so-called republic or democracy in a way Rome never was Mm -hmm. and are having to fight a fight they never had to fight. Yeah, obviously we do have a constitutional republic, which you've noted seems to be eroding, um, seems to be at risk. You also talk about the risk to religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah, the Equality Act is one example of this. It amends the 1964 Civil Rights Act to forbid discrimination on the basis of gender, identity, and sexual orientation. And then crucially, it forbids any appeal to the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So here's what that means in practice. Let's say you go to a church. 
that has uh, biblical morality codes as part of its handbook and its policies and its hiring practices. Let's say the Equality Act becomes law. It's already passed the House twice. It's in front of the Senate. Now President Biden promises to sign it if it gets to his desk. Let's say it becomes law. Let's say that a transgender person applies to work on the staff of your church. Let's say your church declines that uh, application in part because of your sexual uh, morality codes. This individual then files a lawsuit. A judge issues an injunction. If you don't obey the injunction, somebody goes to jail. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, yeah, no, we've seen it with Jack Phillips. We've, we've seen it in, in Washington state. We've seen it in a number of cases. We're seeing Um, Canada right now. We're seeing it in Finland right now. Absolutely. Again, the book is The Coming Tsunami. The author, Dr. Jim Dennison, why Christians are labeled intolerant, irrelevant, oppressive, and dangerous, and how we can turn the tide. It is that and so much more. We'll have more when we come back with Dr. Jim Dennison in a moment. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's my great privilege to have Dr. Jim Dennison on. We're talking about his book, The Coming Tsunami. And of course, um, I said earlier, for such a time as this, and obviously this book is a warning sign. There's so much that uh, Dr. Jim Dennison talks about as as he looks at the the, um, the four specific things that he calls the earthquakes. We talked a little bit about that in the first segment and but I, I kind of want to revisit it just for a moment because you talked about the rise of a post-truth culture. You talked about the rise of sexual revolution. You talked about the rise of critical theory and the rise of a secular religion. Do you think that these are the key indicators that have generated the most amount of hostility towards historical biblical Christianity? Are there some other things that you wished you might have included? That's a fantastic question. No one else has asked me that question. That's terrific. I would say these are the most causal factors, sure. and I would say they relate to each other. The first one makes possible the second, right? right. There's no such thing as truth, and sexual truth can be what I want it to be. And then if you disagree, you're oppressive, and ultimately you're dangerous. So identify them as the key issues inside all of this. There's a, I think it's the eighth chapter where I look specifically at medical ethics. Mm-hmm, that's one you example do. of all of this. I do medical ethics at Baylor Scott & White Health here in mm-hmm. Texas. And, uh, fascination for me. I could have made that a fifth factor because I see it as being causal as well as consequential. Mm-hmm. There's so much happening right now in the medical space that is in some ways dehumanizing us mm-hmm. in ways that is made, making us see ourselves as creatures rather than created, seeing ourselves in ways that uh, really make us God, make humans into gods. So we could have had a longer conversation about genetic engineering there, about designer babies, about cyborg medicine, about all the things happening now, which really are elevating humans to a transhumanist kind of agenda. So that would have been a causal factor if I picked that as a fifth earthquake. I made it a consequence because it is, but it also has some causality to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I, I, the reason why I'm asking about it, uh, at the Denison Forum, you talked a little bit about the tragic, what apparent seems to be a suicide of a former Miss USA who was also yeah. uh, a runner-up, you know, top 10 Miss Universe, law degree, MBA, beautiful, intellectual, um, but she wrote a cryptic note uh, that seemed so despairing. And it seems to me that there is a growing despair um, in, in a civilizational sense that seems to have attached itself to the United States of America. 
Absolutely. And it's in such an odd way, in a sense. There was an article out the other day that I quoted in the Daily Article recently mm-hmm. that Americans are less happy than we have mm-hmm. been for at least the last 50 years, as far back as they go with the bullet. Well, on one side, we've never been as prosperous as we are now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand, obviously, the horrors of the pandemic and all that that has brought about. But if you're thinking about medical advances, if you're thinking about technological advances, if you're thinking about the degree to which we don't face some of the issues that our parents, grandparents, certainly ancestors face in terms of daily survival issues, we are in a place that humans have never been before. And yet we are less happy than perhaps we have ever been before. So to ask the Dr. Phil question, how's that working for you? Mm-hmm. This kind of rising secularism that essentially goes back to Genesis 3. You will be as gods, knowing good and evil. To me, one of the ways the enemy is using our prosperity is to cause us and convince us to believe that we are gods of our own planets rather than the creatures and created of a God who we desperately need an intimate relationship with. Now, you, you do such an excellent job of making it accessible to understand what a post-truth culture is and the sexual revolution, critical theory, and secular religion. Do you think there's a growing pushback from uh, thoughtful people and Christians to say, hey, guess what? We have to push back against these things. And do you think it's, are, are you seeing some effect currently? Does it seem to be working? I'm, I guess I'm asking. Terrific question. Yeah, there is some great news there. Some years ago, there started marshalling in the evangelical world kind of a, a consensus that we really need not to give up the academy. We need not to give up the elite institutions. We really need to go be missionaries in that space. Francis Collins, head of the mm-hmm. Human Genome Project and the National Institutes for Health, has been very public about his Catholic Christianity, and that's been terrific in terms of kind of putting an intellectual voice and a face to the Christian faith. I'm so sorry to say this because of how the story ended, but Ravi Zacharias, yes. so a lot of his ministry, helping thinkers believe and believers think, you know, was able to be effective on college campuses and that sort of thing. And so for whether it's a Veritas Forum is what I'm familiar with here in Dallas and mm-hmm. things like it, on other college campuses, there's been a concerted effort for decades now to help concerted, uh, committed, biblical, what you would think of as just orthodox Christians, achieve places of absolute excellence in academic uh, capacity and academic influence and live there faithfully. James Davison Hunter's book, To Change the World, taught us all that culture changes top down. Achieve mm-hmm. your highest place of influence and live there faithfully, manifesting faithful presence, presence he's calling it, and a generation is taking that to heart. And so yeah. we're seeing great good news at that point. And you point that out in the book. You you know you point out that Billy Graham obviously named the most influential uh, or most admired person for at least thirty or forty years mm-hmm. over a thirty or yeah. 40, 40 year period. And and I think of people like John Lennox and Bill Craig, William Lane Craig, and, and you talk about this in the book that people aren't just looking for a, a, for people to be able to articulate in a meaningful way, what Christianity is and is not, but they live an authentic life that is so winsome and compelling that even the critic or, or the, or the skeptic become impressed with just this person's co- if you want to use that term, authentic Christian life. And it has to be both, doesn't it? Uh-huh. At the end of the day, the reason I can't quote Robbie Zacharias is because of how his story ended. If the story doesn't, if if my life doesn't tell my story and vice versa, the critic has a right to come forward and ask, all right, now how true is your story if it's not affecting you the way you claim it will affect me? That's obviously part of this. But the good news is that there are so many Bill Craig's there. There are so many John Lennox's, so many Francis Collins who are living Mm -hmm. in ways that are authentically aligned with their message. And the culture is seeing that. 
at a time when it seems such a disconnect and such disingenuity with so many of the secular leaders and the celebrities and the worship of celebrity and all of the fallenness we're seeing inside all of that. The Me Too movement, which has been exposing so much sexual abuse in places of power over so many decades. So I think there's a huge hunger for people who will live with excellence personally and publicly who will achieve the highest place of influence to the glory of God. The person that gave the academic scholarship that allowed me to go to college, when I graduated, asked me what I was going to do. I said, well, I'm going to seminary. He asked if I was going to get a Ph.D. I said, well, I hadn't thought about it. He pointed his finger at me, Gino, and he said, the Holy Spirit has a strange affinity for the trained mind. Mm-hmm. I've never forgotten those words. Yeah, it reminds me of the, the statement of John Wesley where a person said, uh, that God don't need your learning, and John Wesley wisely replied, he doesn't need your ignorance either. <laughs> and and uh, again, congratulations on the coming tsunami. Tell us a little bit, uh, I know that it's published by Forefront. Where do you recommend that people get a copy? I mean, um, Amazon, Christian bookstores, or bookstores for that matter, it, um, where do we go to get a copy? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, Forefront's an imprint of Simon and uh, Simon and Schuster, the publisher uh-huh. on Amazon. That's actually number one in its category in Amazon. Congratulations! So, yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it we, is wonderful. That. And it just speaks to the hunger. I think the absolute hunger for truth that kind of helps explain where we are and how we need to respond redemptively. So it's at Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Audible. The same individual that uh, narrated a lot of John Grisham's novels actually voiced the book, and so it's available at Audible. We have a website, thecomingtsunami.org where a person can order the book there. You can get a digital copy as well. The digital copy is free, actually, and yeah. you can get the book there. And then all sorts of other resources that accompany the book that are available at thecomingtsunami.org. So any of those places will get you there. Well, I so appreciate what you've done, and um, and actually all of the other stuff that you've done. I mean, you know, you wrote a great book on, on what it means to model civility and bring civility into the Thank conversation. You. My guest, Dr. Jim Dennison, the book, The Coming Tsunami, Why Christians Are Labeled Intolerant, Irrelevant, Oppressive, and Dangerous, and How We Can Turn the Tide. It is that, but it's also so much more. Dr. Jim Dennison, again, thanks so much for being my guest. Gino, what a privilege to be on with you today, my friend. God bless. This is Gino Geraci, and again, thank you so much for joining me, and we'll be back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.